Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 78, Paradiso, Canto Undicesimo, The Sixth Day, Overnight. I was, at some point, really tempted to start naming these episodes like episodes of Friends. This one would be the one with a Dominican praising a Franciscan, and for this alone I wish I had done it. Perhaps I should go back and rename them all. It is, however, not any Franciscan, but St. Francis himself. I guess I should start from the beginning. The first few verses are Dante's reaction to being in the presence of such saints, which is yet another invecting against those who, like his old self, are choose weighed by earthly goods. Still, after the movement of the souls, St. Thomas Aquinas stops and tells Dante that he can see the heart of God and through that he knows where Dante's vows come from, proceeding then to address them. He begins by explaining that providence, guiding the world through the infinite wisdom of God, brought into the world two princes who would make the church safer and more secure. These two princes were not princes of this world. One was a full mystic, like a seraphim, and the other was so knowledgeable and wise he shined with the light of the cherubim. They were the two founders of the mendicant orders, of course. St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic. The Dominican friar will, however, only speak about St. Francis because, since the works of both had the same goal, by praising one, you praise both. I guess it shows the humility of a saint that it would focus on the real founder, so it doesn't really confirm or deny the hypothesis that Dante was a third order Franciscan. Ironically, since St. Thomas Aquinas in real life was not fond of poetry and its convoluted and obscure language, the long eulogy begins with the expected roundabout description of where Francis was born, then moving on to the mystical espousal of poverty, which is one of the key moments of the saint's life. In fact, legend has it that St. Clair was inspired by the events that took place when Francis publicly renounced the wealth of his father, and she went on to fund an order for women according to the Franciscan rule. However, it is Francis's influence on Blessed Bernard of Quintavalle, which the saint mentioned here. I guess that makes sense, since he was the first companion, and so effectively the person who made the order happen. Then, St. Thomas carries on to recount Francis Francis's mighty deeds, which were all done in humility and for the glory of God, Justifying his earlier comment that Assisi would be called should be called East, sorry, because such a light of the church originated from there. He recounted how Francis stood tall like a prince when he presented the rule to the Pope. Different versions of the story painted it differently, but here we get a sense that despite his wealthy origins, he carried his humble living with a sense of holy pride, for lack of a better word precisely like a husband parading a beloved wife in his arm. He had no need to fear anything, and on a more practical level, he was raised to know how to act in high society anyway. Then we see his short stint as a missionary, which is a lesser known part of his life, perhaps, 
Nowadays, we tend to remember St. Francis more as the saint who spoke to animals, not sultans. It is historically proven, though, that his 1220 uh, sorry, journey to the Holy Land was made possible by an autosep passage granted by either the Sultan of Egypt or the Sultan of Syria. And this has given rise to all sorts of legends about St. Francis's time in the East during that crusade, including the Sultan's deathbed baptism because an open conversion before then would have been a disaster. Archivist Paolo Rossi has collected a great deal of primary sources on this and other aspects of St. Francis's life on the website fratellofrancesco.org if anyone could read Italian wants to go deeper. Finally, we hear of St. Francis's return to Italy, partly because the order was going off tracks without him, and how he received the stigmata a couple of years before his passing into heaven, which happened in a very unassuming way and not with the martyrdom he had desired, since he knew it was a likely option when he went on mission and went anyway. Then the speech moves on to St. Dominic, who had been a contemporary of St. Francis up to his death five years earlier than the Italian saint. St. Thomas talks about how, then, if people followed the rule of their father in faith, who had been worthy of being the colleague of San Germán in the mission of renewing the church, then they would gain much. Alas, he tells us, the friars had become hungry for other foods, namely the earthly goods that everybody was greedy for. And it's inevitable that they would be lost in unsuitable pastures and come back pouring milk, using a pastoral metaphor. He laments that there are so few righteous friars left, they don't need much cloth to make their cloaks. Then he concludes the canto saying that if Dante had paid attention to his discourse, he would know where the decline of the order of preachers originated, because he had used no obscure language. However, if you ask me, he did, and Dante's Aquinas did not sound like the lucid and direct real Aquinas at all. You can tell Dante put his words in his mouth, through and through, despite Dante's appeals to realism and stuff. You'd think he read enough of his writings to be able to make a slightly more realistic poetic rendering of his voice, if that was the case, but maybe I'm being too critical. Either way, we have once again the theme of the Gliridi clerics, also known as people are human and act like humans. His lines about providence ordaining the residue two orders when they did should be enough of a hint that such saintly behaviour was the fruit of grace in their life, not some kind of effort on their part. Even if little was said about just how worldly Francis was in his youth, and St. Dominic was not born in a manger either, although he is only mentioned here in his capacity as founder. Domingo Feliz de Guzman, as it was his birth name, was born in Old Castilla, son of nobility on both sides. His mother, Jane of Aza, has been recognised for her piety and beatified. One of his uncles was an archbishop. Like Francis, his embrace of lady poverty, even if not as far as I know, amounting to a mystical marriage like for the Italian saint, was entirely voluntary and based on the depth and radicalism of his faith. The canto is, obviously, a scathing criticism of corrupt clergy, which used to be a bigger theme in the poem now than it first appeared. At least it seems to me that in the previous two cantiche, a lot of the criticism of the clergy would fall under the broader category of the political criticism extended to their lay counterpart, and that a lot of the faults he found with the clerics had a direct link to the neglecting of the spiritual sphere in favour of meddling in temporal affairs, which in one way or another 
happened at all levels of the hierarchy. Here, though, we see criticism that it stands beyond and more broadly to the attachment to earthly good of any kind. In this canto, the focus on St. Francis brings it back to riches specifically, as it's easy to see an increase in luxuries in food and lifestyle among monks and friars that deviate from the rules, and we touched on that before with Cluny, didn't we? Even if you stay clear of politics, other temptations will be there to try and keep your spiritual life small, a problem that has never really gone away, since it's the subject of plenty of contemporary spiritual writings, including the lessons of Gary Lagrange, from which I've quoted before. And on this note, I'll end the canto for today, since we'll still be in this sphere in the next one. Bye-bye! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.